0: Hey there, friends. Good to be with you today. My name is Misty Denman. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. Um, This is really one of my favorite parts of the week. I feel like it's been a really long winter and this has been a bright spot in that. I have always talked about how much I love winter. And I think what I meant by that is I love a few cold and rainy days interspersed with a lot of sunshine. That is not what we've had. The other day I had our notebook with this graphic on it and I just was staring at it and thinking at least somewhere in my life there's some green leaves and pretty birds and that's something. So it's been a great um, ray of sunshine and light and life in the midst of a dark winter and I think we may be coming out of it soon but if not we've got this study until April so that's good. We've looked at a lot of different kinds of psalms already this semester. I've loved the variety of them. We've looked at psalms of confession of sin and then the worship that comes along with being forgiven. We've looked at lament over um, just the hardships in life. We've looked at psalms of meditation about God's character and the way he works um, that character out in our lives and his greatness in Psalm 119, we've looked at words of wisdom and um, how good it is to live life according to his word. Today, Psalm 144 is a psalm of praise, but it's a unique psalm of praise. It's called a royal psalm of praise, and that's because it was written by a king From a king's unique perspective as a leader of his country, and while it's obviously personal in nature, David uses the word me and my many times during um, this psalm, the overall theme of a royal psalm is concerned with the king's leadership of his country and the well-being of the nation and the people that are underneath him. And this uh, particular Psalm, I think that's very much overlaid with the king's knowledge that he cannot care for the needs of his people or his country without God's blessing and um, God-given ability, really. So as I said before, Psalm 144 was written by King David We don't know exactly when during his rule it was written. Uh, We know from other Psalms that he wrote and accounts in the Old Testament that David was a lot like the rest of us in some ways. He worshiped God, he pursued God, he struggled with sin along the way in his walk. But I think his life and the words in this Psalm are pretty extraordinary as well. You know, David lived life big. I think he was just a big guy, a big character. He trusted and he worshiped God big. Um, He walked exceptionally close with God as well. And that just comes out, I think, through the words in this psalm. When I was here a month ago or so, I think I mentioned that over the last year or so of my life, the psalms have been really helpful for me in my own walk um, with just learning to be faithful in the hard parts of life. In this Psalm, what I really see is a hero for myself. And I love a good spiritual hero. I feel like I need a good spiritual hero. You may feel the same way. The words in Psalm 144 were written by a man who's deep, faith impacted the well-being of everyone around him. And that, to me, is what makes a good spiritual hero. You know, David clearly was a man who had a lot of skills and talents and personality and gifting, but he did not operate or do life out of his own might and strength. His life, his work, his leadership, his rule, and his reign directly flowed out of his faith and his dependence on God. So I wanna look at King David's words and look into his heart uh, in the first few verses of Psalm 144. If you wanna follow along with me, I'll be reading verses one through four. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, and his days are like a passing shadow. So in these opening lines, David offers humble praise to God. David's humility, I think really is a remarkable trait of his. The first words out of his mouth in this psalm are, blessed be the Lord. And I want you to contrast that with pretty much any national leader of any country that um, you've really ever experienced, who all more or less have the priority of um, furthering their own administration and accomplishments and talking about what they have done well and their administration has done well. David's leadership is firmly centered on trust in the living God and not on himself or his own brand. Okay, so how does this play out in his life? First, he attributes his military skill to God. So the security of his people would be a top priority for David. War was a fact of life for Israel. And as leader of the country, David would have been commander of the army. A king's reputation as a fierce, brave warrior uh, with a skilled and strong and big army, uh, an army that was at the ready, was essential for for that country, for any country. There's this uh, existing Egyptian art that I read about as I was studying this that shows, uh, you know, it would have been from the times of Pharaoh, that show a young Pharaoh being taught how to use a bow and arrow by one of the false Egyptian gods. And the point of that art was to show that if that god was the one who had trained Pharaoh for war, well, then he would be, you know, incredibly skilled and fierce and brave at what he did and you know better than any of his enemies were. Now since the false Egyptian God didn't really exist, that was just propaganda, but it was probably very effective um, and the message of that was clear. So in contrast to all the nations around him, David worshiped the one true God. David honored only the one true God, and he does that very publicly. So therefore, when the fighting men of Israel defeat the pagan armies all around them, the message would be unmistakable. Our God is more powerful than your God. Our God is more able than your God. Also, our God is real and yours isn't. Your God couldn't do anything when life really mattered because your God's not real and mine is. Um, I can so see those taunts. I have teenage boys and I can see the taunts that those soldiers might have had at the other ones. Our God provides, um, our God provides protection. Our God provides victory. Only our God um, accomplishes that on our behalf. Um, and only our God does what can be understood as a miracle. And so I think under admittedly pretty brutal circumstances, David chose as he worshiped and honored God as the military leader of his country, as he um, attributed his skill to his God. That was a way that he and Israel were able to be a bright light in the darkness of false worship and um, false gods all around them. Um, I've heard many of you be like David I've heard many of you when somebody comes up to you and says tells you something really great you've done tells you oh my gosh way to serve way to do this deflect that um, praise and give the glory to God and every time I've seen that happen with one of you I've just thought way to honor God and way to teach me about humility it's a pretty neat thing to see when others are quick to acknowledge their skills and gifts and just choice to do the right thing or completely from the Lord. I think that honors him and teaches us well. You know, David continues to offer his humble praise as he attributes his protection to God. The language David uses to describe God in these verses is really powerful, and it shows also David's military mindset as a leader. He describes God as his fortress. That's a place that offers a high level of security from the battle that would be raging around. He um, he. Wants to be behind the fortress walls of God and not out in the open. Um, We all want that when the enemy is coming at us. I think about a couple of weeks ago when Amy described God as uh, a shield or a shade of protection between that hot, scorching sun and um, and the psalmist. In this case, God is that strong, impenetrable, stone-thick, fortress wall that's between David or us and the arrows of the enemy. It's a great word picture there. David also calls God his stronghold. And a stronghold can be another word for a fortress, but it can also be sort of that central place or person or idea that's at the center of a group that leads the charge for that group, that rallies the troops. God is that for David. David leads his troops, but God leads David as his stronghold. I think David has long understood this truth. Listen to what he said years before he wrote this psalm when God rescued him from Saul who had tried to kill him. It's on your verse sheet in 2 Samuel. He says, "'For you equipped me with strength for the battle. "'You made those who rise against me sink under me. "'You made my enemies turn their backs to me.' those who hated me, his enemies who hated me, and I destroyed them. He didn't destroy them out of his own strength. He destroyed them because God allowed that to happen. So David's had um, this dependence on God for a long time. David speaks of God as his shield. We've talked about this during the semester too, a shield being the idea of this all-encompassing protection around him. The same God who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence with David's personal shield, and he is our personal shield too. David also speaks of that unwavering, unchanging love of God that becomes his refuge in times of hardship and war. You know, there's no need for a refuge unless you're experiencing hard things. War is hard, and it's scary, and it's dangerous. And David doesn't seem to question the hardships of that or why it's happening. He knows they exist, but God provides and protects in the midst of that war. I think because of how truly awesome all of this is, David sort of stops, takes a deep breath and sort of has this aside here um, and ponders God's concern for man Look at what Psalm 8.4 says. It's a very similar idea to what we see in verses um, uh, three and four of Psalm 144. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You know, this is a Psalm that's written from David's perspective as a king. He is a man of action and energy and yet it's as if he can't help but take a minute to just stop and marvel and wonder at the God who is all-powerful, almighty, outside of time and space, um, good and great in every way, and who yet stoops to take care of and be mindful and think about man. He knows us. He loves us individually in the most personal and complete way possible. To David, it's just a thing of, awe and wonder and glory um, to ponder this. And I think David knows there's no real, you can't really know why God loves us so deeply and cares for us so personally, or even really understand how big God is and how small we are in comparison. But it's a good thing to stop and contemplate. And he's a good example for us in doing that here. And like David, I think it's good for us from time to time to just sort of Step back for a minute um, and stop and marvel at the incomprehensible grace of God. You know, the David of Psalm 44 is the same person who is the only one in all of Israel back in the day to take on the giant Goliath. I love that story so much. I wish we had time to stop and read all of it here, but you'll remember that David wasn't much more than a kid when um, the the uh, foreign armies in Israel were lined up against each other with a valley in between. And Goliath taunted Israel's armies day after day, and not one person in Israel's army was willing to take on Goliath, except for David, who was a shepherd boy. Um, And he did that, and he killed Goliath with great bravery and simple faith that God, his God, the living God, was more powerful than any force on earth, than any created person on earth. I think he became a national hero that day. I have no doubt that the stories of his bravery and his sort of reputation and that sort of Larger than life persona that he had probably continued um, throughout his reign because of his position and power. I don't think David had a lot of um, external humility placed on him. David's humility was the direct result of the depth of his worship, his reverence for God, his uh, dependence on God when you read David's word this week, doesn't it make you want to stop and just marvel too? Uh, I did. I did spend a little time doing that. I'm real grateful that I did. There is nothing like sort of that healthy dose of um, just looking at how big God is and how small we are to put life in perspective. It seems like a healthy thing to do. Um, and I, this psalm has encouraged me to do that more David has a job to do as the king of Israel, and we're gonna continue to look at different components of what that job entailed as we work our way through this psalm. But being responsible for the safety of an entire nation, no matter how brave he was, no matter what victories he'd had in the past, had to weigh heavily on him. I don't think there's a man alive, a person alive who wouldn't feel the weight of that responsibility on them. But he accomplished his work by understanding the truth of Psalm 147 on your verse sheet. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked to the ground. So this is truth for us as well. No matter the responsibilities or the challenges or the obstacles we face, whether it's within ourselves or our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, our jobs, the mighty and living God sees and he cares. And when we trust him, he does enable us to do what is right and he protects us all along the way. Because this is true, like David, we can look to God alone for our victory And our protection. Let's look at verses 5 through 11 now. I'm going to read those. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high, rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hands of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O Lord, upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you, you who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hands of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood." So here we see that David prays for God's continued protection. God has protected and cared for him faithfully in the past. So as he faces this new current threat, he continues to depend on God. There are clearly here powerful enemies that threaten God's people. and the first verses that uh, we read here, David speaks about God's provision that he's already experienced as he has led the people in the past, here he recognizes that Israel is again facing formidable enemies. He describes the enemies almost exactly uh, the same way in two different um, verses here. We know it's foreigners that he's up against. Um, Those would be people that neither believed nor respected God or his laws. The lies that David mentions here could be uh, broken treaties between nations. It could be that uh, those nations around him have dealt with Israel in some um, underhanded type ways. David could also mean here that those enemies have been taunting Israel uh, with um, lies about or denials about who the one true God really is, practicing their pagan religions um, and, uh, in a way that would be deeply um, disrespectful and offensive to David and to Israel. You know, I think it's important to notice here that um, David never indicates that he has led his people to war For anything other than um, defense of his country. It doesn't look as if they're trying to acquire new land. It doesn't look as if um, they are uh, just power hungry. War is a fact of life for God's people here, but it isn't glorified or entered into lightly. Whoever the enemy is and whatever they're doing is causing real trouble and harm to Israel. You notice the forcefulness of the language that David uses, the exclamation marks here, the really strong language, the smoking mountains and the flashing lightning and the raging waters all evoke this sense of power that nature offers. and made me think about how for all of the amazing scientific and technological developments that we get to um, enjoy in our lives, we are completely powerless against nature, against the forces of nature. And we get reminded of that, I think, as a people pretty often. We are powerless to prevent the wind or earthquakes or the rain or, you know, whatever it is that that brings of us. I I kept picturing the um, images from Hurricane Harvey as I was reading this and those just powerful and crazy abundant floodwaters um, in South Texas at the time, and that there was We knew it was coming. The weatherman told us how many inches of rain that it was gonna be devastating, but there was anything that we could do to prevent that. And David compares his enemies to those raging waters, and he recognized that it was God alone who could contain that kind of power. So he calls on God alone for his help. Because David is a humble and good leader, he's quick to understand his limitations and to call out to God for help. And I want to be like David. I want us all to be like David. I want it to be said of me that I am quick to understand my limitations, quick to call out to God Almighty, Um, not as a last resort, not when I've done everything else um, first, but, but at the beginning and always and throughout whatever it is that's coming against me and us. You know, even though David and his people are up against some real hard circumstances, he doesn't waste any time here with doubt or with fear. In verses 10 and 11, he confidently anticipates God's rescue. You move to the the, uh, present and um, future tense here he, uh, his confidence comes from his history with God. Time and again, God has provided help and rescue and wisdom and everything that David has needed to rule when he needed it. David's history with God and his choice to walk closely with God through hard times and in this hard time are the source of his confidence. You know, David does use the word me several times in these verses, But he's not at all just looking out for himself here. Because he's writing and acting as king, his welfare and his victory and his safety and protection are tied very closely to the well-being and safety of all of Israel. So when God protects David, David can then lead and protect the people well. David's been a skilled musician all his life. We know from stories in the Old Testament that when um, he was very young, he was a skilled musician. And as he's praying here, before God has moved against these particular enemies, David is already looking ahead to the time when he will lead his people in celebration and in worship. David speaks often throughout the Psalms, um, and here too, about singing a new song to God. Now that phrase doesn't necessarily mean he's going to write um, new music and lyrics to praise God, although he might have. What a new song probably means is that as he anticipates this victory, he knows he's going to get to lead worship with this new and fresh um, appreciation for it and sense of God's grace and mercy and protection um, in his life and in the life of all Israel. And again here, I just see David as the most remarkable and humble leader because he trusts that God will act. He trusts that God uh, or that Israel will emerge victoriously His humility shines through here as well and again. You know, as he imagines that victory parade, it seems like he doesn't imagine himself like riding in the front car in his military regalia, waving at everybody along the way because he has led everyone to victory. He talks about himself in a position of service, singing out praises to God and playing an instrument and leading the people in worship which would be focused on the Lord and not at all on himself. I think there's so much here for us to learn from and pattern our lives after. David went right to God when he needed him most. He didn't have any misplaced pride or illusion of self-sufficiency, even though he was a man of great uh, skill and reputation. David seems to have honestly assessed the situation. He understood it was bad, but he didn't waste any time either sugarcoating it or denying it. What he did was pray to God with all of his might, and he believed that God would protect his people and give them victory. No matter what we are facing, whether it's big or small, short-term or long-term, we can do all of these things too. We too can look to God alone for our help. Okay, let's continue on and read verses 12 through 15. May our sons and the youth be like plants full grown. Our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structures of a palace. May our granaries be full providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and 10,000s in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people on whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. So here David prays for the nation's prosperity. In this Psalm, David opened with a blessing of God expressing his gratitude for the ways that David has equipped him for battle. As he anticipates that upcoming battle, um, he expresses gratitude for the victory to come. He prayed earnestly for um, God to once again intervene and give him and his people victory against so strong and powerful enemies. And we saw that because of that just rock-solid confidence in God. David anticipated victory, even though those enemies were very powerful. So now he looks ahead beyond the battle to the blessings that he longs for his people to get to experience after God has given them that victory and um, great peace in their land. Again, I think you see just some excellent leadership skills on David's part, Um, and why we consider this a royal psalm. The requests that he brings here before God are for the good of the people, and those requests look toward a healthy future for his nation, both during his rule, and I think even well beyond it as well. David anticipates that peace will lead to Israel's well-being. You know, when any country is at war, it's sort of necessary that that become the primary focus of the leadership and often the people if, um, if that warfare happens close to home, your resources have to be funneled toward um, what's happening on the front lines, towards soldiers and equipment and, and the fighting um, that's taking place. If there is fighting taking place close to home, Even civilians, survival is sort of the most um, pressing need of the day. I just finished um, a month or two ago a really great novel that was set in um, France in World War II, and it was really about the women who were left behind when all the men went to war. And for years, they were reduced to just trying to survive um, daily life with extreme deprivation and with the um, German soldiers that had invaded their land. And it, it made me um, remember that the, the prayers for this prosperity and abundance that David prays for really only could happen um, after um, God had blessed them with some peace there. Israel can enjoy that abundance and progress when their enemies are defeated and not before. So it's the last thing that David prays for here in this psalm. You know, when we read these verses, I think they're a reminder of what a blessing it is to live in peaceful times. We're blessed so blessed, even with you know the the war on terror that we're fighting overseas, that we don't live in a time and a place where um, our lives are in immediate danger. We do get to ask God for these blessings of um, of abundance and privilege, and I'm I'm grateful for that for all of us, and um, and kind of have been encouraged to um, praise God for that more regularly. King David desires to see his people flourish through a thriving next generation, abundant livestock and produce, which would have been the bedrock of the economy of their agrarian um, society. He also asks that God would bring about peace among his own people. You know, when David asked God to bless the sons and daughters of Israel with strength and purpose and success, it reminds me there's nothing new under the sun. From the beginning of time and David's time and through now, what we all want for the next generation, for our kids and for our grandkids is that they would be able to avoid some of the hardships that we've faced, make good choices, walk with the Lord, um, be you know these people of uh, strength. I've uh, learned back when I was in college, I heard somebody, um, a much older and wiser, pray that there would be an um, unbroken, for their own family, an unbroken chain of faithfulness um, in the generations of their family from that day until when the Lord returned. I've prayed that uh, just because I thought it was the most beautiful thing for all these years as well. And so when you're looking ahead to um, the strength of your children. You're looking ahead to a generation who can walk and will walk and choose to walk in obedience with God. When there's peace in the land, people have more time and resources to pour into that next generation, teaching them purposely to obey um, and love God's law. Of course, you can do that anytime in times of war, but you get to do it with, I think, some more um, energy when uh, you're not just surviving. The people of Israel were primarily ranchers and farmers. Their economy centered on crops and the livestock that they raised. Anyone who's ever been around that kind of lifestyle knows just how precarious that livelihood could be. Every year is different, Um, whether it's uh, too much rain or a drought or disease or pests or whatever it is. There are years that are really hard and years that are really good. Um, David is praying here for God to bless those crops and that livestock so that um, their time and their energy and their resources that they put into that would, be, um, would come to a, you know, fruition and abundance, uh, knowing that that is a gift from God. I think that's one of those places that's pretty easy to see, that it's out of your control, and so he prays and um, asks God for that as a blessing for his people. You know, when David prays for no distress in their streets, what he's talking about there is a peace and a sense of understanding and unity among his own people. It's kind of the opposite of civil unrest. It would be the opposite of um, protests and infighting and... Um, um, bickering among his own people. There are foreign or uh, enemies that can destroy a nation, but there is infighting that can do the same thing. Think of the history of our own nation. We've uh, seen both sides of that, you know, all the way from the Civil War uh, until sort of our present day with a lot of um, mistrust and anger. Um, in our own society, David desires that his people would take advantage of a time of peace and prosperity and abundance to become stronger and more unified, not to then take that time out uh, to turn against each other. I think David's prayers reflect our own hearts too. We all want peace and security for our children. We all want the work of our hands, whatever that looks like, to be Fruitful and to thrive. Everything that David prays for here and echoes, um, uh, it echoes a covenant that God had made with Israel back in the time of Moses. It's not on your verse sheet, but listen to me. I want to read some parts of Deuteronomy to you. It's very interesting how closely what David prays for here is. echoes the covenant that God made with his people back in Deuteronomy 28. If you wanna go back and look at it later, it's Deuteronomy 28, uh, 1 through 14. I'm just gonna read parts of it for us. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. I'm gonna skip a couple of verses. Blessed be the fruit of the womb of, uh, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and in the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. That would be the grain. Blessed shall be you when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you in seven ways. And then a few verses later, and all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. Now, although David never uses the word obedience in Psalm 144, he would have understood and so would the people who um, he uh, was responsible for that the path to God's blessing was obedience. So David leads his people in worship and obedience. David knows and he believes God's word. And that's why he prays and writes this psalm according to God's word. He asks for the exact blessings that God had laid out for his people in Deuteronomy. I think it's so interesting uh, that he doesn't ask for one thing more or one thing less than what God had um, laid out for his people Look with me at 1 John 14, uh, 1 John 5 on your verse sheet. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Anytime I'm at a loss for what to pray, what to ask for, I can always pray God's words back to him and know I'm on the right track. That's very much what David did here. Praying his words back to him also helped me know that I'm praying according to his will. This, uh, I think, is a really great example to us of knowing God's word and letting that um, help us know how to pray. You know, anytime I uh, feel like my prayers aren't being answered, I can also follow David's example in just walking in daily obedience to his word and knowing that he hears me, knowing that in his um, time and in his way, whether or not that's my time and way, he is working in my life, and he it does have good plans for my life, all of our lives. David wrote Psalm 144 while he was king. His perspective and his personality, I think, are all over it. But this song was also used for generations of kings after David. Every time I think about that, it being sung by one of David's successors, it would have been sung as a prayer of protection for the king, that current king, and for his people too. When the people sang it along with the king, it was like they were getting on board with the king, asking God to protect them through the protection of their king because they would have understood that the well-being and protection of the king uh, was directly tied to their own well-being and protection as well, that um, their well-being as a community rested on the good leadership that God would provide for them. They're pledging their loyalty. The people would be pledging their loyalty to the king as they sang that. And they were worshiping God as they remembered that God had for generations protected the people of Israel, um, been their source of victory and hope and uh, being their fortress and their help and their shield and their blessing and their success. And I think that's why it resonates so deeply with us as well. So, do you know who the reigning, current reigning king in the line of David is? Jesus. Jesus was, um, as an earthly man, in the line of David. According to God's good plan, he is the ultimate heir of David's throne. I am so thankful that now... Any of us who trust in the name of Jesus get to be part of his nation, part of his family. Um, It is no longer exclusive to just the nation of Israel. We all who believe get to be called his. No matter how good of a king David was, and he was a good king and a good example, he was still just a man. But King Jesus is not just a man. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords and he is all powerful and almighty and all good And he meets all of our needs. It was good for the people of Israel to follow David as their king. But how much better is it for us to get to follow King Jesus as our Lord, as our king? David um, and the kings of Israel uh, were responsible for defeating enemies that warred against them, but those victories were never permanent. There was always the next battle right around the corner, um, the next um, uh, new um, leader of a foreign country that wanted to prove themselves against Israel. The next challenge was always there, but Jesus' sacrifice and leadership um, on our behalf is permanent. He defeated the greatest of all enemies. He defeated sin and death once and for all on the cross, knowing that we win in the end is such an unspeakable blessing. But even though we know the final outcome and that that is a blessing, um, there's battles that we still fight all along the way. And just like David in every battle that we face, we can look to God alone for our peace, the ultimate peace of our relationship with the Lord, but peace in the journey as well. Look at Psalm 29, 11 with me. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. That was Israel then, and it is us today. And not only uh, will he be our peace, he will also be our fortress, our deliverer, our stronghold, our shield, our help, and our victory. The people of Israel were provided for by an earthly king. We are provided for by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, the last line of Psalm 144 says this. Blessed are the people whose Lord or whose God is the Lord. We are Blessed. And one day, we get to join in with all of the people as we worship to all of God's people as we worship together um, and worship him like in the words of Psalm or Revelation 19 on your verse sheet. Let's close with this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the Lord of Lord and you are the King of Kings and you have provided for your people from day one until now. You are going to provide for your people um, until you return for us, Lord. I thank you for that. I bless you for that. We all do, God. I, um, I am asking that your words would be an encouragement to us, an anchor of hope in the middle of our battles, a um, place where we can um, be confident um, and trust you deeply. We love you, Lord. We are grateful to be your people, um, and I pray that we would um, be women who follow you all the days of our lives with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, and we ask this in your holy name. Amen.